Hi there. This is your host, Daniel Eccles, and you're listening to the Learned Opportunity Podcast, where we can gain more opportunities in your personal and professional life. There are a lot of areas of opportunity in which you can learn and grow in order to have a more fulfilling and satisfying life. These include things like faith, personal development, health, career, finance, and many other areas. Now, a lot of you are interested in meeting your potential. You know that you are a leader. You know that you are somebody who has big ambitions and you might be in your 20s or early 30s and thinking, okay, how am I going to start meeting the potential that I have been told that I have by countless people throughout my life? Well, Michael Huber, the guest on today's episode of the Learned Opportunity Podcast, has a lot to say directly to you. You are a younger professional that is ready to start grasping opportunities in order to have more confidence in the work that you're doing, be more competent, be better aligned in the work that you're doing, have a peace of mind, expand your horizons, and dream bigger dreams. Well, it might not happen the way that you directly think it would happen to gain these sort of opportunities. Michael Huber is going to talk to you a little bit about how setting limitations might actually lead to more opportunities. He has a lot of advice from when he was a young professional, and now he leads over 2,000 business organizations from the city of Indianapolis. But at one point, he was a young professional with ambition who wanted to make an impact on his community. And he's doing that now. I mean, it's not only through his work, but also through the power of having hobbies and, and having fun and being creative and an artist. So now uh, let's take a listen to the episode with Michael Huber of Indie Chamber. Hi there. Welcome to the Learned Opportunity Podcast. This is Daniel Eccles. We're here to help you gain more opportunities in your personal and professional life. And today we're going to be talking to Michael Huber. He's the president and CEO of the Indie Chamber, where he leads a business organization of over 2,000 businesses in the Indianapolis region. So a lot of moving pieces, a lot of businesses here in Indianapolis. And uh, we're going to be talking with Michael a little bit about different areas of opportunity that include maybe business, career, personal development, other things like fun and hobbies. And so a lot of different uh, opportunities opportunities here for you listeners to to learn and gain more opportunities in your personal and professional life. So thank you, Michael, so much for, for joining me and being willing to come on to the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Daniel, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. You've turned me on to the show and I've enjoyed listening to it. I've been looking forward to today's conversation. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. I just did a very brief introduction. So for anybody that has not heard of Indie Chamber or um, might not know you, uh, introduce yourself to listeners. What is important for them to know? Yeah, I've, I'm in my mid-40s. I've been in Indianapolis for just over 20 years. I moved here for a job and when I was 25. And I know a lot of your listeners are at that phase of, of, of their life. I'm married to a Californian who I met in my late 20s in graduate school down in Bloomington. So basically, I've lived in Indy or Bloomington for 21 years. We have three kids. We live just a couple miles north of downtown Indianapolis. And 
the, I've been at the Indy Chamber now for eight years. It is a, it's a business organization, like you said, made up of 2,000 members. So we exist to serve those businesses so they can meet each other, collaborate with each other. We also are advocates, so we engage in political advocacy at the state and local level, very uh, nonpartisan. We try to stay independent. And we are an economic development organization. Mm -hmm. So not only are we the organization that spends millions of dollars to recruit businesses here and market Indianapolis to companies and industry nationwide, but we also have a growing small business lending and technical assistance organization that did over $22 million in small business loans and grants at the height of uh, the COVID pandemic in 2020. So it's never boring, Daniel. It keeps me learning new things. And uh, the last thing I'll say about myself is music is a huge part of my life. I've been a musician, really starting as a church musician when I was eight or nine, but I've always been in bands. And as we have this conversation, I'm in my home uh, recording studio, which also doubles as an office. So yes, music has been a big part of my life. And I'm proud to say I'm doing more of it in my mid forties than I was even in my twenties. And that's in my mid forties with a, a really busy job and family. So um, I've been really blessed that I can continue to pursue music as a huge part of my life. And it might not sound like a, a direct link, but I'm sure that there are a lot of things that would connect your music to your work then also at Indie Chamber. Some of the same skills, maybe collaboration or other things. What have you noticed have been some of the opportunities or benefits that, that your music has lended towards uh, your professional work? No, I appreciate it. it. It's like until probably five or six years ago, I, I kept... My, my working life and my music projects, which I would do evenings and on weekends, mm. I kept it very separate. And I wish I hadn't, but I've, I've Why do you really think that you uh, changed that? my approach. Uh, what was that uh, think, about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and I know a lot of your listeners are younger. I think I'm, embra I'm embarrassed to say I was working in different jobs, both in business and in sometimes electoral politics. And I think I was, I think I was concerned that if I spent a lot of energy on creative pursuits, I might look like I was unfocused or not as dedicated. Mm. And I'm embarrassed to say that now. And so I've really changed my approach now and have been a lot more cognizant about really trying to integrate them. And I'll tell you, I think in any creative field, maybe music, writing, visual arts, you, you can either do it or you can't. It's like every artist or creative person I've known has got some amount of discipline in their life. Yeah. Some amount that you, you, you have to, the daily practice, you've got you've to embrace it or maybe weekly practice, whatever it could be. So if someone is pretty creative, they have some discipline in their life. And then the experience of playing music and collaborating with other people, I think is really valuable. I've only been thinking about this in recent years, but it forces you to have an understanding of your role in the group or in the band and know that your role is finite. I think it trains us at a younger age to give and receive feedback. And oftentimes that's feedback that comfortable giving mm. or receiving. So mm. yeah, I've been thinking about it. And um, it, this plays out every day. I'm in a six piece band called Chamber Music, pun intended, but that, that was the name that we embraced <laughs> as a joke and it stuck, which plays very often in Indianapolis um, at the Hi-Fi, at the Jazz Kitchen, and we play a lot of Sports Corp and Visit Indie type events and things like that. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, that's um, some cool venues, you know, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a great, it's, it's really been a great thing. But I, I so am, I'm, I'm probably given way more detail than intended. But I, I do think for your listeners, don't make the mistake that I made. Mm -hmm. If you've got a creative pursuit and you're drawn toward the arts, even if that's not your full-time job, embrace it and try to integrate it. Don't do what I did and keep it hidden under a rock for many years. Mm. 
And, and there's probably some listeners that wouldn't consider themselves creative, but actually are, and it might be pushing those things away and trying to separate it. I wonder if they would be able to discover a little bit more if they were to merge both worlds together. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And I'm sure that you would probably, if you were supervising yourself, uh, your younger self now, you would probably want somebody that is creative or merging some of those two or has some of those skill sets that you mentioned of discipline. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I hope that I would, and I hope I would today encourage that person to really bring it out. Even if their job, say they're a visual artist, but their job isn't directly related to visual arts. My hope is that they would bring that perspective with them to work every day because it's going to be to the benefit of their organization that they can see things from different angles. And like I said, I just respect, I just have a built-in respect for anybody who, whether it's a part-time pursuit or full, certainly full-time pursuit can really make it in a creative field because it's, it's rewarding, but as it's a lot of work, there, there's, there are no shortcuts, literally no shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. And then, now this question is not on the list. I apologize for that, but I just was thinking, what would you consider to be one of the best opportunities that you've ever had? Um, I think there, there are a few, I think one, I moved here for a job when I was 25 and to work for the, at the time he was the former mayor of Indianapolis and several of his senior level appointees. Hmm. And they were working for a consulting firm. So these are people who had just come out of an Indianapolis city government experience and had um, formed a consulting firm working for cities and government agencies, universities around the country and things like that. And I don't, that I was 25. I made a decision to move from the Washington, D.C. area. I had, by the way, I had grown up in the Midwest. I grew up in a small town in Southern Illinois, but I didn't know anything about Indianapolis. And I had met some of these people and I just knew that I had a sense that being in this type of an environment with this group of people could pay off, that it was a group of people who were creative and smart Mm. and could really challenge me. And that decision, I, I wasn't chasing a job title. I moved to Indianapolis to be in that group that included former mayor Steve Goldsmith. And it was a great, it was just a, a great um, opportunity. So as I look back, and I would say this to your listeners, especially when you're younger, it I got lucky because I wasn't too concerned about title or pay or things like that. It's just I just had an intuition that being in this environment with this group of, you know, creative people in Indianapolis was going to be a good thing. And that yeah. has paid off in ways that I don't even have time to, you know, talk about all the additional kind of relationships and connections that that has led to over the past 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Those connections and the the collaboration is super important. I knew that one thing I had in common was I realized that I had a passion or at least a, maybe a burgeoning passion for how can you make things better in a city or state environment? I, I had gone out to mm. DC based on my interest in national federal politics, a couple of summer internships out there. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but national, it, the, it, the, the shine of whatever I thought that experience working on, on uh, Capitol Hill was going to be, had worn off. And I was like, I know, okay, I know I'm not interested in that, but I knew I was interested in public service and I was interested in kind of innovative approaches to public service. So I had this chance to get an environment with people who had a similar passion and that decision really paid off. To your listeners, it's, I, I would say 
paying attention when you're younger, you don't have to have it all figured out. I'm not one of these people who was successful at saying, okay, by the time I'm 25, I want to have accomplished this. By the time I'm 30, I want, you know, that works for some people and it's wonderful. But that was never the case for me. But I knew that I was passionate about this. Oh, there are ways you can make cities and states better. And I paid attention to that. And I was able to get around other people who shared that passion. And I think if, you know, when you're, when, especially when you're younger, pay attention to those things that you're passionate about. And then if you can get in a peer group or even better, you're lucky enough to find mentors who care about that same thing. It, it can be really rewarding. And, and this is just my curiosity, but what are some ways that you can make a city or a place that you live better that somebody might not think of, not just, you know, filling in those potholes here in Indianapolis, but <laughs> what, are, what are some other ways yeah. that you go about that? Yeah, so Stephen Goldsmith in the 1990s in particular, he, you know, yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, he's, he was kind of known for um, privatization. I say that in air quotes because it's actually not the right term or outsourcing. And that was actually only one of the things that he did because there's this misnomer that he was trying to sell the city's assets and privatize everything. There's no question that he was committed to engaging with the private sector to get the most creative solutions, looking outside of like government solutions and looking to the private sector to, to find the most creative solutions. And he was one of now it's things that we take for granted, like crowdsourcing government solutions and things like that. But back in the nineties, he was one of the first Indianapolis was one of the first cities to move a lot of city services, including payment systems and things like that to the internet, which was revolutionary at the time. Huh. The creation of Indy.gov was revolutionary at the time. And it's funny, a lot of it was using the internet to solicit more creative solutions and get better citizen input to try to democratize government more and how a city is run. And that was the uh, key really at the time was moving a, a lot of um, citizen engagement to the fullest extent possible online so you could get better quality information from people in their neighborhoods. Today, I can say a lot of those things that were controversial at the time, now the internet and mobile phones and everything like that is just a way of life. And I think in general, in virtually every city and state, there's so much that can be gained by looking at hey, what are the latest technologies emerging of social media and how can we apply those inside government to make government more responsive and to make our services better? Mm. Is there something that right now that you're really excited about in, in that same sort of vein? I just got off the phone, um, a phone call 30 minutes ago, Daniel. One thing that's a very current issue for the Indy Chamber organization, because we, we work with state and local officials on a number of things. Your listeners can go, can just Google Indy Chamber Inner Loop, I-N-N-E-R Loop. And uh, we are working with state and local authorities on ways that you could recess the highways in downtown Indianapolis. So the, the state government is, you, anybody would notice this driving in downtown Indianapolis, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to repair the intersection of Interstate 70 and Interstate 65. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And one of our current projects, we've identified ways through some local and national consultants that we've engaged in raising money from the private and philanthropic sector, creative ways that you could take entire stretches of I-70 and I-65 
and put them at street level or underground and create all of these new development opportunities, maybe new public spaces. And so I'm huh, really, wow. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, yeah. And so pe- people can find out more about it just by Googling Indie Chamber Interloop. They can find the latest, some economic impact studies and design studies that we've commissioned. And uh, yeah, I'm fortunate that at any one time, I were, you know, myself and our organization are probably working on two or three or four things like that. We always want to work with, we very rarely will we be adversarial or antagonistic. We always want to work with our public officials to try to get them to see broader possibilities. That's really cool. I mean, especially that would bring neighborhoods that have been cut off right there. I'm thinking of just Absolutely. how the highways right there on the near north side of Indianapolis and how that just like cuts off an area from one another that previously was connected. They're saying there's, there's so much history there in our city and in other cities, Daniel. And it's like, and this is where I, I constantly, if I'm going to be successful in my job, I constantly have to be the student. There, I've learned so much in the past decade about great African-American, and these are middle and middle upper class African-American neighborhoods uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s that got torn apart or mm-hmm. decimated by the mm-hmm. interstate highway systems, yeah. you know, and in our city and in other cities. So the interstate highway system obviously did a lot of great things in America, transformed commerce, but there are so many stories. If we knew then what we know now about its effects, and even when we're pursuing a project, like looking at more creative alternatives to redesign the highways, you can't help but discover mistakes that we're, that we've made and ways that we've, that have, that have, where we've made the disparities, racial disparities worse in our community. And you just got it. That's where I, I, when I approach things like this, which are incredibly complex, I try to do it from the standpoint of being the student, because Mm -hmm. my, my views on many issues are changing as I just learn more about history. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a hard thing to do to have uh, some humility there and, and recognize that we haven't done everything correct, but that's where opportunity will come from is the reflection Absolutely. and being able to look back and work with other people that may have previously um, been marginalized or forgotten, unfortunately. So I think that's really neat. I don't want to just talk to you about all of your work projects or anything too. How have you found opportunity in your personal life? You mentioned music before. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the practice of music, which is a daily practice for me, has been so important. And I think the big thing is for me, I think it's part partly is, is like identity. So I, there's no doubt when I was younger, could almost get caught up in the identity of what my job was. And that's good. That could be good or bad. And I see colleagues who, you know, they, they base so much of the, how they rate how their life's going based on their job or their title or things like that, which I think is a a real, speaking for myself, that would be a real mistake. And I'm in a job where I get to do challenging work. We've got 2000 members and a board of directors where I, I get to know so many of our CEOs in Indianapolis, most of whom are very generous and really care, you know, about where the community's going. And yet it's so important to me to have this musical life. It's almost like something where I'm constantly learning and constantly putting myself in an uncomfortable um, situation every day. Because as, as a counselor and mental health professional, you learn when you encounter resistance and you push through yes. resistance. If it's mm-hmm. easy all the t- if it's easy all the time, you're not learning. I can't. It's impossible to talk about this subject without talking about when I was 41. It, I literally looked in the mirror, and I was out of shape. I was 40 pounds heavier. I had young kids, and I was thinking about my own. You know, anything can happen to us any day. But I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I'd really like to move the odds on, on trying to live a long life if I can. So. 
I quit alcohol almost five years ago. I dedicated myself to morning exercise. And for your listeners who are to the extent that they're younger, I didn't embrace those habits until I was in my 40s. And I can't change the past, but I wish that I had mm. when I was younger. And being more committed to my health and making sure that I exercise every day has helped me so much in terms of managing my nervous energy. And I feel definitely giving up alcohol and definitely when I've got a workout in, my ability to handle stressful situations or situations that would have been more stressful is so much better. Mm. And it's almost like, uh, I don't know, my, my ability to resolve conflicts is so much more enhanced. So it's impossible to talk about opportunities without talking about that pivotal decision. And literally, it was there, there wasn't any lightning striking or anything like that. It was just looking at myself in the mirror and just trying to assess where my life was going and basically saying, I have not been prioritizing my physical health and I want to mm. be here a long time, as long as possible for my kids. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, a really pivotal moment and something that we all the time on Learned Opportunity Podcast, we uh, like to talk about formational experiences and the importance of being able to say, am I becoming the person that I want to be? And if you're not, well, what is the type of person that you want to be, but also what are the, the actions and the steps, the people that they hang out with or the environments that type of person would put themselves in and trying That's to right. emulate that and be an apprentice to that sort of a situation. And it sounds like that. Absolutely. And everybody's different. I am a person that I lean like on my Myers-Briggs type or any of the indicators that, that have that are valuable that people take, I lean to the extroverted side. And so it really helps me to have accountability out there. So in my music life, I have people that I play music with, my my band, I'll have other recording projects, people I'm accountable to. So that really helps me stay on the path every day, knowing that I've made a commitment to people who are counting on me and they've, they've made commitments to me as well. And then I've also met other people who have given up alcohol and are pursuing the sober lifestyle. And that's, I'm always happy to have that, the, that more detailed conversation with people offline. We want to find out more about that, but that's helped me so much too, because I've got, there are other people who are on a similar path who help me every day. So everybody's different, but you've got some people who are much more internally motivated. I'd like to think I have some of that, but for me, there's been no substitute than to seek out people who have a similar passion and are on a similar path and put myself in a position where they can influence me as well. Yeah. yeah, you are a very collaborative person, it sounds. And, and I can tell that extroversion, you know, liking to be with people. One thing that's really yeah. hard for collaboration, though, is that you have to commit to a group. You have to commit to the practice. And, and any commitment is also a limitation. So a lot of people might think that limitation and opportunity don't necessarily go together. But how have you seen that by limiting yourself, you actually may have wow. more opportunity? This is a, it's, this is a, I appreciate the question because I don't know, I don't think I've been, I don't think I've heard it posed in this way. And it makes me think a lot about some of the super talented young people we have at Indie Chamber. Like we've been so blessed. It's like, I have so, I have so many colleagues right now. So I'm 46 and I, it's a strange thing that happens in life that you wake up one morning and you're like, oh. I'm used to being the mentee. Now it's time for me to be the mentor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not always real, I'm not always really comfortable with that. But man, there's so much, we've, we've, we've been blessed to get so many people in their 20s and 30s into the organization in recent years. And so your question, young, a young 
person who's passionate and ambitious, I know sometimes it can be frustrating because you come into an organization and you're given a role that is pretty focused and defined. Is this what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. And what I have seen over and over again is I would say, especially to a, a younger person, don't be, don't be discouraged by that because if you learn mastery of that area, even if it's so narrow over time, you'll be given a little more responsibility and a little more responsibility and a little more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the discipline that you learn from developing mastery in that area will serve you so well. So Daniel, I have to tell you, when I was working for this firm, when I moved to Indianapolis, it was called Competitive Government Strategies, a fairly general name. One of the first projects that I got was I was advising our the attorney general's office they had this agency called unclaimed property. And it was, what it means is like every state has a division where they collect unclaimed funds. Okay. So the $80 in an account that you forgot uh -huh. about years ago. Okay, I check where does it that go? every well, that six remains. months. I check it every six Excellent. months okay. actually. Yeah. And so, listeners go on there. I found like yeah. 20 bucks. <laughs> okay. So I was on the team that created that searchable database in 2001. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So here's my point too. So I, I didn't know any better. I was 25 years old and I was like, okay, I'm just going to learn as much as I can about unclaimed property. And I, and I got around people in many other states who understood the processes by which the state the contacts the banks and by which that money is transferred to the state. And then I learned a lot about the process by which states try to find people with the searchable database, stuff like that. This is a, such a narrow field, but I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to learn as much as I can. And I, over time, I geeked out about unclaimed property. And I tell you, um, if my, I, I, I was able to develop a lot of knowledge and mastery of this very narrow area, but it was through that, that I developed so many relationships. And so I think, mm. you know, thank God if I, if I had sat there when I was 25 and said, I don't know, this seems too technical for me. I don't know. It's not changing the world. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I would have missed out on something that became such a great experience. And and here's the thing, right? And it actually, like you said, I, it brought value to a lot of people that just creating things like the searchable database and then marketing the fact that the state had these funds and they were trying to connect with people who had forgotten that they had these funds. It actually made a difference. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't changing the world, but it made a difference in people's lives because just in my couple of years of working on that project, we found thousands of people that had forgotten about money they had or money maybe they inherited from a loved one. I, that's my long-winded answer for answering the question. But I would say to young people, don't discount what gaining mastery in an area, even if it's a very narrow discipline, don't discount the value mm. that can bring. And the confidence, it was a big confidence booster for me as well. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, I think that's something that a lot of my clients will struggle with though is feeling uh, like they cannot become an expert at something or that uh, really researching it and diving in deep there's an imposter syndrome there of who am I oh, to, yeah. to be the one I didn't go get my doctorate in unclaimed property or other, other things like yeah. that so what would you say to them about how do you become an expert curiosity is everything curiosity because like and curiosity, and I'm going to say number two, service. So if you've got a burning curiosity and you're guided by that, no one expects you to be the expert because these fields of study, they change all the time. If you're constantly 
asking questions and trying to get to the next right answer and you keep asking questions and you're followed by your curiosity. And I've experienced imposter mm -hmm. syndrome constantly for the last 25 years. But be guided by your curiosity and always be checking yourself. It's okay. Do I really have that burning curiosity? Because you're gonna you're gonna navigate those situations by asking the right questions. I'll say number number two, and this is one that this is not an original thought by me. This is one that you can pick up from any anybody from leadership practitioners to self help gurus. But number two is if you show up to be of service every day. Mm. That's the thing. That's the way to get over imposter syndrome. If like, I could tell you stories. I used to stress myself out all the time thinking, okay, I, I need to be right. I need to make the right argument. I need yeah. to be on the right side. That, that was very self-limiting behavior and self-defeating behavior when I was younger. Yeah. I really try to check. I really try to check myself every day. It's okay. If I'm showing up to be of service in this situation, so much of that pressure to be in air quotes, right or correct goes away. So much of that yeah. imposter syndrome goes away. It's a great question though. And, but I think it's a lifelong practice, right? Because I can find myself in, a, in an uncomfortable situation where I feel like I'm out of my depth and that imposter syndrome will just come back. But I can't, the, the first two things come to mind, that burning curiosity and asking great questions, you'll figure it out. And then just making sure that you're showing up to be of service has been so helpful to me. Yeah, I, we can't always be right. So to try to no. pursue that, it, it's pointless to always be pursuing to be right or be totally competent at something. But yeah. we can always be curious and we can always yeah. just try to help. Absolutely. So we might as well pursue those things over being right or having Absolutely. to perfect something. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I love that. Yeah. That's good. Oh, what opportunities have you found based off of something recent that you're learning? What are you, what are you learning about? I'm really working on my improv, my piano improvisation. So here's one thing. So like I've been in bands, um, and I've been a church musician, things like that. And I, my skill set would be like a pop pop pianist or someone that could like accompany the choir. But I've never had confidence in my improvisational abilities, my ability to do a solo like in, in a jazz group or something uh -huh. like that. So I, I, I really made a decision about three months ago. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm like, why not? Why am I not comfortable? I mean, I mean, basically, the band had a gig and we were talking about this piece that we were practicing. And I said in rehearsal, I was like, you guys know me, I don't solo. And I was like, why is that? Why is that? I've been playing music for years. And it, there's just this obstacle, Daniel, that I'm dealing with, where, which is just like, I can hear just about any recording, especially in like pop and R&B music and things like that, and copy it or approximate it 99%. <laughs> but if you say, okay, my, okay, Michael, improvise, it's just like this mental block. Mm -hmm. So I'm really working through that. And there's no shortcut. So I, I've fortunately, especially in 2022, there's such an abundance of information online. There's methods. I've got a, a teacher that I check in with some time and I've got a path forward. And, but it's, I tell you, man, it's uh, there's a reason why it's, it's easier to learn languages when you're a child than when you're an adult, because it's got me, it's got me practicing every day, but also confronting this, you know, why can't I solo? I'm not going to accept that. So yeah, that's great. So, yeah. That's that's first thing that came to mind, but that's a very, it's a very current challenge for me. Uh, way to go to like app, to hear something that you said, I don't solo and to recognize how much of a limiting yeah. belief that is. <laughs> and it's funny, two things, and this is for your, for your audience too. So it, it also happens by I'm on a bunch of, I'm on several civic boards. I've been for years 
through contacts that I made, you know, prior to the chamber, I, I was uh, deputy mayor of the city of Indianapolis for three years and worked for the previous mayor of Indianapolis for five years. I'm good friends with our current mayor as well. But so I'm on two music boards. I'm on the Indie Jazz Foundation and the American Pianists Association board. And so my, I guess my point is for your audience, there are always volunteer opportunities, especially in a town like Indianapolis. It's very much geared toward a service town. If it's, so I guess what I'm saying is, there, there are people, I'm, I'm part of a music community that if I want people to hold me accountable or I'm looking for inspiration, I don't have to go very far of people who are going to, you know, inspire me to keep pushing myself on this music journey, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And volunteering, volunteering can be a great way to, to do that for your, for your listeners who are like, ah, I'm stuck in a creative rut or I don't know where to go next. Next, I, I would highly encourage, don't overthink it. Try to figure out an organization that could use your service. It could be even the most mundane thing imaginable. People are going to appreciate it. You're going to come into contact with other people who are out there making their communities a better place. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's a low risk to do that too, to try something yeah. on new and by volunteering. You don't have to get an internship or a job and, and dedicate a whole lot of your time and your resources towards that so That's right. volunteering and finding just an area that you're like, okay, where can I at least help or asking them, That's how right. can I help? And, and just jumping in. Yeah. Being curious and, right. and saying, how can I help instead of having to be an expert yet and, and get the job or, or something like that. So that's right. And then before you know, you'll be competent and an expert at something, whatever it is. Absolutely. That so that's good. Yeah. Uh, just a little plug here for Indianapolis, indie people here. And uh, not everybody for, uh, that listens to this podcast is in Indianapolis. I just saw somebody from Italy has been listening. Hello, whoever you are in Italy. Nice to have you along. Don't know how you found us, but we're glad that you're here. But what are That's some wonderful. unique opportunities that you see from Indianapolis? Busy from living here. Um, the growth in Indianapolis is a fascinating story. And a lot of people who you know lived here in the 60s and 70s would call it India no place. And so there's there's not there's not a mountain range or a body of water. You know, it's not it's obviously an inland city. We're in the center of the state, but really smart civic investments have created a great uh, downtown where we can host events like last week, the college football national championship, mm -hmm. hosted Super Bowl, and you know, countless final fours, the Indianapolis 500 and the um, racing industry and everything that it brings here. And the biggest thing of the last 20 to 30 years, the, the diversity in science and R and D jobs that are here mm. are deeper than just about any city of 2 million people in the country. And so Indianapolis, we don't have the maybe the the pull of Denver, Colorado, and Nashville, Tennessee has been the city that's really come on in the last twenty yeah. years. A great city for talent, you know. Indianapolis doesn't have that national pull yet, but the quality of our jobs has been fantastic and really does compete with those cities. And we've just been incredibly fortunate because our life sciences cluster with Eli Lilly and dozens of other companies, and then think about our high tech manufacturing cluster with Cummins engine, Rolls-Royce, yeah. Allison transmission, making hybrid transmissions is great. We have the second biggest sales force presence in the world, mm -hmm. second biggest FedEx presence in the world, and then sports. And so like all and then I'll tell you, Daniel, 
the most underrated sector, in my opinion, of the last decade is agriculture and agriculture tech. Um, Interesting. If you look at there's a cluster of companies on the north side and north suburbs of the former Dow AgriSciences, Corteva, and companies like uh-huh. Bex Hybrids. And so we're at the intersection of all these really cool R&D industries. Now, part of my job at the Indy Chamber is to make sure that we're not a well-kept secret, that people nationally and internationally are hearing <laughs> that story. And as you've experienced, I'm sure it brings a lot of new people to our city. So we're still yeah. a very young city. I think the difference, one critical difference between Indy and like Denver or Austin is the in-migration to Indianapolis is coming mostly from the Midwest, whereas some of our competitor cities are doing a better job drawing people from the East and West Coast. Now, the last thing that I'll say in terms of an opportunity, and I know this is something that you're personally interested in, is the the Indy Chamber, but many other organizations are getting real about poverty and racial divisions and racial disparities um, in our city and in our region and really embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just as a thing that we all need to do. And frankly, it's something that our belief needed to do as a business community decades ago, but really embracing it as a strength because if our industries are going to grow, especially our R&D industries, they need to have an increasingly diverse workforce. They need to have increasingly diverse um, management teams and boards. And so it's become a higher and higher priority for us as a business organization to make sure that we're not just attracting new companies here, but that we're creating pathways for people who are in poverty to be able to get the jobs at Lilly. We're creating um, more pathways so we don't lose our top diverse talent to cities like Atlanta and Houston, but that we become a destination for diverse talent. And luckily, we're not alone as an organization, but just a few of the things that we work on, your listeners can can find out about business equity for Indy. It's a huge initiative of the Indy Chamber mm. and our partners at the organization CICP. Um, the $20 million that we loaned and, and granted to businesses just in the year 2020 alone, over 40% of that went to minority-owned businesses. It, that's still that's millions of dollars, but it's still a drop in the bucket compared to the need. So people who come in, they're going to find a city that does have its problems like any city, but it's at a real, really interesting, I think, critical inflection point that it ends. Um, I hope you find this. I hope your your listeners find this too. My wife, who's from California, talks about the civic culture. And she says, it, you, ha- you have to make an effort at first, but once you meet people and break in, you, you almost get drafted. It, people are just <laughs> constantly drafting you into these different service opportunities here. It's just, it's yeah. constant. And so I would say to your listeners, if you're new to Indianapolis, don't get discouraged. If you stay at it and make contacts, I don't know, within six months, people, there's, there is a very open civic culture here. Um, I found it very easy to navigate. I'm from a town that nobody's ever heard of. My wife is from, her family background is originally from Iran and she uh, moved here from California and there, there is a really great civic culture that's here. I, I've really caught that because I feel like it's always just like one person to connect you to somebody else. Like everybody, you will be able to connect easily with somebody <laughs> because of somebody that they know because they've worked together in the past on some classic indie kind of project, whether it was like high that's alpha right. or something like that. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And you know, my, so my, my board of directors, I did this, um, in December, we, the chamber has a big board. We have over 100 on our board, 
And then we have an executive committee that's got, I think, 25. But these are all heads of companies and, and banks and law firms, things like that. So I did the, uh, the how many people in this room did not grow up in Indianapolis or the, you know, nine county region of Indianapolis, two thirds of the hands go up. Mm, wow. And, and that all that you find a similar ratio too if you're with uh, younger people, organizations like Indie hub and the young professionals, in central Indiana, mm. if you ask that question, you're going to find the hands go up. So I would say to people, don't get discouraged because you're not, you're never going to bat a thousand. But if you haven't yet, if you feel like you're new here, and haven't yet found your group or things like that. Keep trying because it's a mm-hmm. it's an odds game, and it, we're we're still a very young city. Yes, yeah, and try some things out. Get involved in different organizations, and and just see for sure. Uh-huh. Um, it takes some vulnerability and can be really hard, but it is really worth it sure. to to be intentional about that sort of a thing. So that's where a lot of opportunities lie. Yeah. Is there any uh, question that I missed or something that you wish I would have asked you, Michael? I don't think so. I think for me, the only other thing is I'm in this role at a difficult time or what, sorry, what I perceive to be a difficult time because the chamber has to be involved in politics. And that's one of the reasons that members pay their dues is so we can represent the business community in a nonpartisan way in an increasingly political environment. And so for me, the practice of prioritizing my health and my most important relationships, family and close friends and music I feel like gives me a lot more fuel mm. to get up every day, almost like armor myself in, in these in an environment that sometimes you're dealing with a lot of conflict. And yeah. I don't know any successful I don't know any successful person. And I'm just successful. When I'm, I don't define success by financial success. I define it by a person who really gets up and feels like they're passionate about what they do. I don't know any successful person that doesn't have to deal with regular conflict management within their place of work or maybe things like that. And that my own prioritizing my health, my spiritual growth and having something like music has been so helpful for me. And then also making sure that I'm surrounded by a supportive community and the makeup of that community can change from time to time based on what my priorities are. I just think I used to think that I just, yeah, if I just worked harder and was, and again, and again, in air quotes, if I was just right, had the right <laughs> answer that I could figure it out. I would not recommend that as a strategy, especially to the younger person. That's great. Yeah, for sure. That is a, a hard place to navigate these days being bipartisan and, and that middle road and, and, and everything. So uh, there's so much, yeah, there's so much, that's where it's so easy for us to get on social media in the echo chamber of people who agree with us. And so I will add to that, especially hopefully as we get out of this, you know, COVID fog and we're able to have more, you know, communal experiences, things like that is getting yourself out there and out there and, and have forming friendships with people who have different views mm-hmm. than you do, mm-hmm. you know, different, different, could be different political views, could be different spiritual views, could be just people, different life experiences. There's just no, no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Looking at your, looking at your peer group and saying, okay, am I challenging myself to, to get myself around people Who's, who's had a, t- who've had a totally different life experience. Again, mm. I'm not an expert at that. That's something I'm trying to prioritize. Highly recommended. And that opportunity doesn't come from you being in Indianapolis because of the uniformity of your connections or having your own little bubble. The opportunity Correct. comes from being committed to a place. And when you're committed to a place, you take in 
all aspects of that place. And even despite people that might not agree with you, you say, no, this is what I'm passionate about. This is the place that I care about and I value these things. And that's where you'll probably right. find more opportunity when it, when right. it comes to shove. So, well, how do one, listen- thing, one, thing oh. I'll, one thing, one thing I'll mention last to Daniel, and thanks for having me on. I started to capture a lot of these conversations purely in my spare time. It's a podcast called Michael Loves Indy. I think I've got 24 episodes. I took a pause in the fall, but and I totally do it on my spare time. I don't want to do it. I don't want the chamber to tell me who I have to talk to and stuff like that. So I get to get into conversations like the one you were kind enough to have me on today on my podcast, Michael Loves Indy. So if people want to hear you know more about that, that's purely a personal outlet that I've created. So that's I awesome. hope you'll forgive me for no. <laughs> for yeah, that, that, on, that is on, what on, I, I want you on here to share anything that you are excited about, passionate about, and that will provide opportunities for some listeners. And I'm going to take a listen to that. I did not know about that podcast. And I appreciate that. I'd be very interested to, to hear some of your thoughts on that. No. Other ways that listeners could connect with you? I think that's it. They find me at IndieChamber.com. If they're interested, they can. These conversations I have in my spare time at Michael Loves Indie, wherever wherever you find your podcast that you listen to. No, but no, this is, this is great, Daniel. I think too, as someone who's had a lot of conversations just this week about politics, economic development projects, your line of questioning is very insightful. So I know you're doing a lot of good by by putting this show out there. So. Thank you. thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for coming on. I've had a lot of fun with you and in hearing some of the things that you're excited about. I can't help but get excited yeah. for, for where yeah, we no, live look, look, for what's going to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I look forward to, you know, staying connected with you here in Indy. And again, thank you for what you do at this show. I think it does a lot of good for a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you listeners for, for staying with us and, and listening along. We really appreciate you. Um, join us next time. We're going to continue to help you gain more opportunities in your personal and professional life.